morning, St. Michael's, please stand. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence. We're so thankful to be able to enter into that presence. Come today expectant.
Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbors as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. You forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
think we are ready.
that one more time. may be seated. Children, please come forward. What do we just pray? That we might think those things that are right. And we're sending all these young people off to learn how to think all those things that are right. <laughs> and by God's grace, do them. This is a great group. Come on up, Noah. We won't bite. <laughs> Often. <laughs> All right, pray with me for these children. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all these young hearts and minds. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with them always. Guide, keep them, protect them. Fill them, Lord, with your love and with your spirit. Lord, that they might always act according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I saw you, buddy. And you. <laughs> oh. This morning's first reading comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 5, verse 15, commencing. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he is torn that he will heal us. He is stricken that he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. 
For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning's psalm is Psalm 33. We will read it responsively by the asterisk. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. For praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right. And all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke. And it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. For to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Good morning. This morning's New Testament reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand and sing the gospel. 
with your spirit. May the Lord be on our minds, on our lips, and on our hearts as we hear his holy gospel. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The gospel from St. Matthew, beginning in chapter 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Gospel of the Lord.
Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd be with us this morning, that just as you called Matthew, the tax collector, out of his sin into your saving grace, that you would call us, call our hearts this morning, transform us, and launch us into the places that you've called us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there was a uh, fascinating announcement this week. Uh, Maybe you missed it because you're not as much of a nerd as I am. But Apple came out with their virtual reality headset. The Apple Vision Pro. Augmented reality. It's just an amazing sci-fi technology. You put this thing on and the world comes to life with images and icons and desktop windows and it adds so much to our life and uh everyone should go buy it for thirty five hundred dollars just get out there it's important you gotta do it um i will tell you we christians could learn a thing or two about preaching the gospel from places like apple because after watching their keynote address i was ready to come to the altar and be saved by apple's technology i'm telling you we could do better. I, I think they have, a, they have some things about how to tell winning stories. And the idea of the Apple Vision Pro is that they are improving reality. They are taking this mundane existence and they are lifting it to a new plane of pleasure and productivity. And I was just thinking about it because immediately after that, of course, you get the slew of videos talking about, oh no, the end is nigh. The world is coming to an end because everybody's going to be plugged into these machines and it's going to melt our brains and nobody's going to be real anymore. And both of those things, Apple's vision of the utopian future where we're all just plugged in and we have this beautiful reality. And then the, the dystopian idea that everyone's going to just stop being real and interacting with the world and we're all going to be vegetables plugged in to these machines. I think both of them are actually wrong. I don't think either of those is going to happen. And I think Christianity has a much better answer to this age-old problem than any other worldview that exists. In fact, uh, there's this problem that was posed by a philosopher in 1974 called the pleasure machine problem. And the idea was that if you could plug somebody into a machine where they got undiluted pleasure for eternity, would people elect to plug in? Or would people, for whatever reason, decide to opt out? Now, at the time, they decided that there was something about reality that was so important that people would opt out. In this day and age, I think that was a rather dubious claim. Because already without the Apple Vision Pro, we see an entire swath of our culture who see nearly everything through the glowing rectangle in their pocket. Or the TV screen or the monitor, whatever it might be. And the idea that people are just going to opt out of this pleasure box because they are committed to reality is naive. Unless... Unless there's a better story. Because what we've tried to do as a culture and what a lot of our philosophies and our TV shows and movies try and do is they kind of embrace this idea that God doesn't exist and you are the maker, the arbiter of meaning. So you see many movies where the 
big crisis is like, well, nothing means anything anymore. And so I'm going to go my own way and just be this beautiful, wonderful butterfly. And it's like something about those movies, you get to the end of them and you're like, what's the point? What's the point? You get to express yourself. Fine. But what's the point? And if that's all our culture is selling, either you can be in this pleasure machine or you can make your own way and, you know, put your toes in the dirt. You know, real stuff matters. That's just not good enough. In fact, I think the only story that's better than the pleasure machine is the story that the Christian church tells. The story of our God who came, who sent his son to die on the cross, that even in the midst of our suffering, we might have hope of resurrection. And so as we talk this morning, we're going to continue in our Acts of the Apostles series. Um, And the point that I want you to hang on to is that they're trying to sell pleasure as an escape from reality. Because reality is suffering. It was said very well in one of the most monumental philosophical works of the 20th century. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. Sorry, that's the Princess Bride. So maybe not a monumental philosophical work, but very quotable and very true. Life is pain. What we're said, what we, the story, the framework for our story, the Christian story, is that yes, life is pain and even death, but there is resurrection. Amen? So we are not shying away from the reality of people's pain, of people's suffering, of the difficulty. We're inviting people to take up that cross of our suffering and follow our Savior who has made a way through death to life. And so when we go back to this, the Acts of the Apostles, we have this fantastic event that happens on Pentecost. God sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. And last week we talked a little bit about that. He quotes Joel where it says, the Father shall pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, your slaves, your free, everyone, old men, young, there is no limitation to who has access to the Holy Spirit, God Almighty. And because we have that access, now Peter's going to tell them why it matters that they accept this gift. What must they do? And so we stopped in the middle of his sermon. He has quite a few things, but we're actually going to take it up from there. We had this great shaking of the house, the tongues of fire. We've got all this stuff going on. And then Peter gets up to explain to the people who have gathered about to see what's going on. He's going to explain to them why what's happening here is actually for them. So he stands up to address the crowd. And first he has to tell them, no, we're not drunk. This is actually something better than the meaningless pleasure of inebriation. This is something real. And so then he talks and acts Two, and like I said, we're halfway through his sermon. He just told them, reminded of the prophecy of Joel. He said, this is happening right now. Now he's going to give them proofs of why he knows this is happening right now. Because everybody's sitting there going like, wait, aren't you the guys who followed that Messiah who just got crucified by the Romans? Like, why are you, why do you have the gumption, the gall, the boldness to stand up and say that God is with you and has poured out his spirit on you? 
Your Savior died. That's what everybody's thinking who comes to this house. So Peter tells them, all are welcome here. Just do what you want and God loves you. Seeker friendly, come be a part of us. Pleasure. No. In fact, he preaches probably the least welcoming sermon in the entire Bible, right? What does he say? What does he say? Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he calls them all murderers. Not only murderers, but murderers of God. Murderers of the Savior of the world. Come be a part of our church now. (laughs) He's framing what has happened for them. Because everybody knows that it was a sham. Do you know that? Like in the culture, right? They knew that this Jesus was sent to be crucified, but they had nothing on him. You read those stories. Pilate goes, I find nothing to condemn this man. What do you mean? Herod finds nothing to condemn this man. And they got him killed anyway. And the religious leaders are strutting around going, see what happens when you contradict us. Even if you're innocent, we'll take you out. But... Peter's using that to his advantage, and he's saying, you Israelites crucified by lawless men. There was no law that could have crucified our Christ. And then he says this crazy thing, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That is the claim that Peter now has to prove to these people. Because yes, a dead Messiah is not worth anything to them. A risen Messiah changes the world. And so Peter goes back to the, their own scriptures, right? First of all, he said, look, God already demonstrated that this was the Messiah by him healing the blind, making the lame to walk, raising the dead. You didn't accept it, and you crucified him, even though God had attested to his truth that he is the Messiah. But... God raised him from the dead. And so now you have to reckon with the reality of Jesus. And so he goes back to the Old Testament, which is the only testament they knew of at the time, right? The the scriptures, God's word to the Israelites. And he says, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Interesting. He could have picked a lot of passages. What is he doing by picking this one? Well, first of all, there's a in this passage is the hope of Christianity, right? My heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. What is this all about? He's contrasting the psalmist. That verse is right before he says, for you will not abandon. Why is my heart resting in hope? Because you won't even abandon me in death to Hades, right? 
Now, Hades isn't really hell, right? We have this idea, you die and you're judged. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. Before that, before Jesus came, before the new covenant, the way it worked was when you died, you went to Hades, which we're going to call the waiting place. I'm not going to try to explain how it works. I'm just telling you what it says because I believe the Bible, right? I don't know how it works, but I do know that what David's talking about is when he dies, he knows he's going to go to a waiting place. And even back then, they believed that there was some sort of resurrection at the end. There was some promise of afterlife, but they didn't really flesh it out. And so what David's saying is, I believe that even after I die, you will save me, right? You will keep your promises to me. That's a radical belief. I don't know about you, but that takes a faith that goes beyond anything being sold by Apple, right? That Vision Pro headset doesn't last beyond death. God willing, it never does. No, (laughs) I am confident that there is nothing anyone can do to impact the future of your existence beyond death, except for the God of the universe. And so he has this radical faith, and therefore he can be glad and his tongue can rejoice, even facing the worst of the worst in this world, even facing death. And then what happens in David's life? This is so fascinating to me. He dies like everyone, and he's sitting in Hades at the moment that Jesus sets everyone free. Once again, Very complicated idea, but it's in Scripture. I believe it. Jesus, when he dies, he goes to that waiting place, preaches the gospel, and anybody who accepts Jesus gets to go to heaven with him. And so David wrote this psalm over a 1,000 years before Christ, like 1,500 years before Jesus was on the earth. And then 1,500 years later, he's sitting in the waiting place, and he's thinking, man, was I wrong? 1,500 years is a long time. I have no idea what his experience was, but in that moment, Jesus breaks down the gates of hell or the gates of Hades, and he says, I am here. And David goes, I knew it. I told you. He was coming. So it's this fascinating thing that Peter is playing with where he's like, yeah, you see in here, he knew about the resurrection. In fact, I had to cut down my sermon a little bit, so I cut out the next paragraph. But basically he says, look, what does he mean he won't allow his Holy One to see corruption? He must mean resurrection because he died and was buried. So he obviously didn't mean he wouldn't decompose physically. He meant that there was another reality that was going to supersede his physical existence and raise him from the dead. He knew something was different. And so what Peter is saying is like, that's what Jesus is. And then he pulls out another scripture that says, I saw my Lord sitting at my Lord. And this is the same at the, at the right hand of my Lord. And this is the same scripture Jesus used to say, look, even David knew that the Messiah was God. Very complicated in the sense of exegetically, we don't have the same lingo as the Israelites did. But basically what he's saying is David called the Messiah, the same name as he called God. And David said that the Messiah Messiah existed even when he was writing his Psalms, that there was something he could prophesy, prophetically see. And so Jesus claims that about himself. He says, look, I am the promised one. And so Peter throws that at them and says, hey, what do you think the scripture means if not to describe this Jesus who you crucified, who is risen from the dead, 
basically, he's continuing the theme in Joel where he says, look, the promises that God made here, he fulfilled right now. Get on board. Come be a part. Those things that you've been praying for from a youth, we can't even imagine the oppression that the Israelites were under. And their parents would tell them every night, yes, but the Messiah is coming. There's a Savior. We're not always going to be everyone's punching bag. We're not always going to be under the cruel oppression of this world. The Messiah is coming. And he's saying, the Messiah has come. So that's what he's pointing out. He's walking through these scriptures and he's explaining this. And he ends with, as he's laid out these proofs, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's laid out the proofs. He fulfilled the prophecies. He did all the signs and wonders. He rose from the dead. You know now for certain there is no excuse, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now at this point, If those men standing in that courtyard were anything like my son, my five-year-old Rowan, they would have found a lot of reasons why they actually didn't crucify Jesus, right? I didn't nail the things. The the Romans crucified Jesus. What do you mean we crucified Jesus? Or uh, like what happened yesterday, he's playing with this bouncy ball in the playroom, and I go, hey, Rowan, don't bounce the ball in the playroom right now. The baby's in the playpen. You're going to hurt the baby. I go back to doing what I'm doing, and I hear bounce, bounce, ah! And I'm like, oh, okay, well, apparently Rowan had been bouncing the ball, and it had hit his baby sister, Margo, who's like six months old, in the face. So I looked at him and said, Rowan, you just hit her in the face. Didn't I tell you to stop bouncing the ball? Oh, I didn't hear you. Okay. So let's get past that. Yes, you did. You heard me. I looked at you. You nodded and said, yes, sir. Like, let's move on. That's obviously not going to play. Oh, it was an accident. Yeah. But you already did what I told you not to do, accept your culpability. Yeah, but, you know, Ruby actually hit me while I was bouncing the ball, which knocked the ball over. And so it's really not my fault, Dad. And we can go down this rabbit hole forever. And what's funny about it is, We do the same thing all the time. But it's not my fault that this happened. It's not my fault that the trash cans didn't get taken out on Wednesday like you asked me, love. I was running late for work. It's like we have every excuse in the book, which is the sign that the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost. Because those men in that courtyard did not offer the infinite number of excuses that they could have. In fact, what did they say? This is the clearest sign that the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. They said, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter just told them they crucified the Son of God, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the King of the universe. And they said, oh my God, what have we done? Brothers, what can we do? What does that mean? They were cut to the heart. What does the Holy Spirit do? It convicts us of our sin and invites us to repentance. And so the Holy Spirit falls that day. It convicts them. And this is what the pleasure machine misses. Because we are all sinners and we know it. We are all sinners. And so, you know what you don't deserve? Pleasure forevermore. That's not what you deserve. In fact, something in us, they've proven this over and over again psychologically. If you're working in a job 
and they give you a raise of, let's say, $50,000 a year, just this insane raise, but you're doing the same job, and you don't think your job is worth that extra $50,000, you will be less happy than if they paid you what you thought you were worth. Isn't that interesting? Like, across the board, they can give you more money, which sounds good, but if it's not what you think you're worth, you will actually be less satisfied in your job and more likely to go to another job. Why? Because something deep in us has an intuition for justice. Because God has written the law on our hearts. We want what we deserve. Now, I will say, there are about 10 million ways to deaden that impulse and to say, no, actually, I, you work your brain around and you say, I deserve everything. In fact, what we see today when our culture is falling apart, what does everybody complain about? Entitlement. I actually am a victim, and therefore I deserve everything. Everything I've ever done is not my fault. It's society's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's everybody else's fault. Yes, you can find ways to justify yourself. But do you know what's better news than I'm not to blame? Reality. I am to blame, and yet God loved me, and God chose me, and God paid the price that I might be forgiven. That is so much better than I am not to blame. Because when you walk around saying I'm not to blame, you still have to deal with suffering. And there is no explanation. There's nothing that justifies your suffering. But when you say I am to blame, I am the sinner, I nailed him to the cross by my sin, then you can experience suffering as joining in the suffering of the cross. Then you can rejoice to say, I am completing in my flesh what Christ did on the cross. And not only that, I can do it with the hope of resurrection. There's nothing he will take from me that he cannot give back to me a hundredfold. Amen? And so when we look at this, what's the problem with these Apple Vision Pro pleasure machines? It's just not real. They're augmenting reality. They're creating virtual worlds. It's just not real. No matter how it makes you feel, as uh, one of my favorite uh, commentators say, the facts don't care about your feelings. Now, there's this movement that goes along with this. It's called self-care, right? And there's all these books about how you need to take care of yourself, you need to love yourself, you need to forgive yourself. And they're falling into this same trap as the pleasure machine. It's just not real. You actually can't forgive yourself. Did you know that? Like, you don't have the power. You can't steal from your job and then walk around going, well, I just, I forgive myself. I'm all good. (laughs) Rowan can't slap his sister in the face and say, Ruby, don't worry, I've forgiven myself. (laughs) We know how wrong that is. I am tempted, though, to try it on my wife every once in a while, you know. (laughs) Don't worry, Haley, I have forgiven myself for that thing that I didn't do for you. Ultimately, we know that we need forgiveness from the person whom we have offended, or in other words, sinned against. And ultimately, who have we sinned against? What do we say in our confession? We have sinned against God, the creator of the universe who loves you. We have nailed his son to a cross. We as humans share in that burden of guilt for his crucifixion. And so we need God's forgiveness. But just like I said the reality is so much better than these false imitation realities. Because the reality is, yes, you need forgiveness, and it's offered to you today. 
None of you have to leave this room with the burden of sin in your life. You are all forgiven by the power of God. That is, wow, just like take a breath. That thing you've been carrying around for ages that you haven't told anybody about because you're so ashamed of, it can be forgiven. It is forgiven. It's paid for. You have, you confess, you repent, boom. You are forgiven. You are accepted. And then you pick up your cross and follow him because it's a long journey to live that way. Okay. One more thing about this self-care. The love yourself thing, right? I was listening to this song the other day. Don't, tell, don't ask me why, but I was listening to this Miley Cyrus song, right? Probably one of the saddest songs I've ever heard. She's singing about how she had this breakup with this guy she liked a lot. Most Everybody knows this song. Oh, the young people, right? They're looking at me. They know what I'm going to talk about, right? And what does she say? I'm not sad anymore because I can buy myself flowers. I can hold my own hand. I can dance by myself for hours. What? I'm sorry. What? In every instance, she's completely missed the point. Anybody can buy themselves flowers. Anybody can hold their own hands. Do you know who it helps? Nobody. Nobody. We are designed to be loved. We are designed to be in community, to be cared for. We're even designed to find husbands and wives. And you know what? If you're one of those few people who are called to singleness, then guess what the church has always taught? If you're a woman, your husband's Christ. If you're a man, your wife is the church. You dedicate yourself to communion, to connection, to service. And all of a sudden, you're not the glowing center of the universe. Unlike Miley Cyrus who seems real happy. Not to be too sarcastic here. But let's just think about this, right? It's the pleasure machine. You can be alone together. No, you cannot. You can only be either one or the other. Choose. Now, really, I actually am excited about these goggles. I want you to know, like, if at any point I get a chance to have these goggles, I will. Do you know why? Because the technology you use does not have to be your world. And there are probably use cases for this particular technology that will blow our minds, that we will have never predicted, that could save lives, that could transform the world for better. But God's here for your souls. Let's read this. This will get the point across here. And Peter said to them, what do you do? You need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. So we talked about that. There's forgiveness here. There's the power of the Holy Spirit here. Repent. Be baptized. Reality is calling. And you cannot escape it. But it's better than you could ever imagine. Also more costly than you could ever imagine. Being committed to the truth, following Jesus' way, is truly the way of the cross, truly the way of crucifixion. But it's also truly the way of resurrection, joy, life, hope. And the reason it's worth it for everyone in here is because it's not just for you. It's for you and your children and all who are far off. That's the battle we're fighting in our culture, truly, right? What are these Apple Vision Pro goggles for? They're probably not really for us. They're for our children. They're for the next generation. The people who grew up thinking it's normal to be disconnected from people. That it's normal to only connect through a glowing rectangle. 
And like I said, I don't want to harp too much on the technology side of this, but you need to see the messaging everywhere. The messaging everywhere is that you don't need other people. You don't need God. You only need you. And I've never heard a sadder idea. We are desperately needy for each other, for God, for our families, and our kids need to know that. The answer is not in the box. It's not in Google. It's not in these technologies. It's not in climate change activism. It's not in the church of agnosticism and atheism and self-pleasure and hedonism. All of these temples to these different gods, money, all of those things, they need to know, no, actually reality is that you are a sinner and the only answer is your Savior. But he is here today to offer you life and life everlasting. That's why we have a school at St. Michael's. You know that? Because our kids need to know that what is being taught almost everywhere else is utter baloney. It won't get them anywhere. They'll eventually encounter reality. And reality, unlike God, is unforgiving. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So that, that's my justification for long sermons right here. He kept talking after this, right? No, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Has anything ever sounded so relevant out of the Bible, right? Like you look around, save yourselves from the crooked generation. And those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. All of this is about what's going on in here. You can have whatever technology you want. You just got to live like Jesus. It's like that phrase that's commonly brought up. What's the purpose in Christianity? They've got one rule. Love and do whatever else you please. Problem is, what does love demand of us? Everything. Love and do whatever else you want. But first love. Reality is suffering It is costly, but we know it leads to resurrection. And I can tell you where the pleasure machine leads. It leads straight to hell. Not just in the afterlife, but here and now. We see that so clearly all around us. People are just chasing their own will, their own dragons, their own pleasures. And it just leaves them broken. So are you going to be the person who, when that person is broken... You can walk in and say, hey, reality is so much better than what you're chasing. You're a sinner, sure. Eventually everybody knows that. But there is a Savior. Amen? Amen. Let us continue with the Nicene Creed. I'm going to find it here and then we'll start. (laughs) Let's continue with the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, 
by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, through Jesus we have access to God the Father in heaven. Therefore, let us go to him in prayer for the needs of the entire world. That the patriarch and all bishops will be given the wisdom, favor, and anointing of the Holy Spirit to lead God's people to their eternal home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That the church will zealously obey her commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That righteous men and women will be raised up into positions of leadership and authority at every level in society. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That those who defend us at home and abroad will be granted the wisdom, courage, compassion, and protection that comes from above. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That those whom we love and care for and are praying for, especially our children, will, like Matthew, hear the call of Jesus and follow him. Lord, in your mercy. That our schools will realize and teach that Jesus is the source of all truth. Lord, in your mercy. That those who have lost loved ones will be comforted by the promises of the risen Lord. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. So prove to be your disciples. Hear our prayer and grant these requests for our good and for your glory. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. Peace. this morning, you know, I'm meditating, singing, praising God and all this stuff, and I had this, this idea in my head. I said that the, the most real thing that's ever happened in the history of the world was Jesus Christ raised from the dead, which I'm thinking, that was, that was one thought, right? And then my second thought was, is that true? <laughs> and so thanks. Thanks, Jesse. I thought you gave me a good answer to that question. Is it true? The most real thing in the history of the world. So I'll just throw that out to you. Amen. That happened. <laughs> yes, it did. 
All right. Well, as Jesse mentioned uh, in his sermon, we do have a school. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really excited to get up here and talk about it because you're going to start getting an email or a letter in the mail or you're going to get a flyer. And we're starting to raise money for that school. Uh, and I know people have been like basically lit on fire by the Holy Spirit Amen. to be part of this school. We have two new teachers who are crazy. <laughs> uh, Amen, brother. And I'm super excited that they're that they they're coming in and they're gonna mm -hmm. like pour into the lives of our kids. We just had a recital, and the teachers who have been here, like even after all those years, it's like they talk about their kids. And they're about to cry, and then I'm about to cry. It's like they just love these kids. So um, later this month in June, on June 23rd, we're going to mm -hmm. celebrate one of the teachers who's leaving the classroom. But really, we're celebrating like all the teachers. Amen. Who have That's right. Done this, and we're going to start raising money. And we've had this little tradition in my home group. Uh, where over the last few months, I've just been expecting God to give me an encouraging, prophetic word to our home group. Yeah. Um, and that I can share with them. Yeah. Um, whenever we have it. And so I prayed for that this morning. I actually got to come to the early service, and God gave me a word just for those guys. Mm -hmm. um, and then the word that God gave me for us here in this service was that small things lead to big things. Amen. And he just... And so that's the word for you. Small things lead to big things. Amen. But he reminded me, like, 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, I was a kid, and <laughs> a guy came to the warehouse where our church was, and it was because the leadership had said, hey, we want to buy a building. And, and then there was this drive, like, let's, let's raise money for this for this church, let's buy this yeah, church, yeah. and everybody's right. getting crazy excited. Somebody jumped up and gave $20,000, and I was just floored. I was like 10, maybe, and I just got crazy, and I was like, I'll give $20. <laughs> I jumped up in the middle of that service and said, I'm giving $20. Amen. And that was the first time I can ever remember giving to the Lord and to his purposes in this world, and it... It, it started, a, and I gave that $20. And Amen. The pastor I know. at the time was Bishop Adler, and he counted the quarters with me and my dollars. I had them in a little baggie. He counted out everyone and confirmed that it was $20 I gave. And uh, We wouldn't and, have this yeah. building without that $20. Yes. I felt like I owned this place. <laughs> so, and I still feel like that. And anyway, it started a lifetime that involved giving yeah and i've had a really exciting like 30 years since then all kinds of stuff has happened i can't even describe it all but um little things do lead to big things amen amen brother thank you very much great word i hope you will all find a way to rsvp on that i am looking forward to a really a great celebration um i think that so much of the idea of our school is in the alumni of the school. And so I hope all of you graduates, like you're all over the place, I know you are, that you will be happy to come and celebrate uh, celebrate that. And we can appreciate our teachers, celebrate our alumni. Looking forward to that. There are some other things I need to mention just so that we do. Uh, there's a rummage sale 
and a work day on Saturday. So plan your Saturday so you can come and help do something. There's a rummage sale on Saturday. We need help. And there's also some workday stuff that we're doing, mostly for the school, I think, for the school. So it's a way for you to give next Saturday. Uh, And also uh, there's a a chili cook-off coming up where um, July 1st, chili cook-off. Bring your chili, bring your dessert, sign up. Good time will be had by all. And last but not least, congratulations to all of our graduates. This is graduation season. I have been privileged to uh, uh, participate in many parties and be aware of many others. So uh, congratulate all of our graduates. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yes. Let us pray for our offering. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord.
Blessed are you, Lord of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth, and the work of human hands, become for us the body of Christ. Blessed God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we receive the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine, and the work of human hands, become for us the blood of Christ. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. To your goodness we bring these tithes and offerings before you. They will be used in your church for the work you have set before us and for the furthering of your kingdom. Blessed be God. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. Therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them, 
so that they may become for us the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Humbly, we pray that, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Liliana, Sherry, Jonathan, Alfred, Jerry, Bob, Nick, Sandy, the House family, Chuck Adler, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Lord, have mercy on us all. Lord, who have made us worthy to share eternal life with the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Joseph, her husband, and with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints, may we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ had taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God.
when Eric was telling his story about the building, I was cracking up because that was that was a really interesting and fun time. I remember every pretty much every family in the church gave really sacrificially for us to get this building. And I was like a new nurse. I had just moved out of my parents' house, and I I um, committed to give $5,000, I think it was. And, like, I wound up selling a stereo. Like, every people sold cars. Like, really, the whole church gave sacrificially for us to have this building. And what a blessing we've had here in the weddings and the funerals and community and baptisms and just life together here and the blessing it's been for our children to have the school and a place where they can come and be protected and taught the ways of the Lord. And so I really just wanted to encourage everybody. And I mean, I, there's no way that I could pay for the blessing that I have experienced here at this church and this community. And so this benefit that we're having is less than two weeks away so I just wanted to really encourage you to start praying now, Lord, what, what do you want me to give? What can I give? Because we can never outgive the Lord and the blessing for your children. And now my grandchildren, like I'm so excited for them to be able to be here in this school. And um, my daughter-in-law is going to be teaching. I mean, it's just like you can't, you can't make this stuff up, you know. <laughs> it's like, so anyways, I just really wanted to encourage you to start praying now what the Lord wants you to give, and don't be afraid if the Lord tells you something really big, because you can't outgive the Lord, and he will bless you in ways that there, you, you cannot make it happen yourself. So, just wanted to encourage you. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of our souls. Amen. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel. That God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself and not counting your sins against you. God loves you, God has forgiven you, God is not mad at you, and God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. Amen.
Thanks be to God.